It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for the privilege of bringing the gospel to you. I am thankful to your dear pastor and to all the leaders of this church for the privilege of serving you today. So let's open our Bibles and turn to Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 28 through 30. Which might be the most magnificent words ever spoken. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Hmm. Of all the things that those words might be, the one thing they cannot be, is insignificant. Jesus is a total savior for our total need. He is both God and man. He is both a lion and a lamb. He is both just and merciful and so much more. Nothing about Jesus is petty and small and inconsequential. Nothing about Jesus is optional. We need all of him, and we can have all of him. He is a complete, indivisible totality. But what he's saying here is that at the deepest substratum of his being, his most primal core being, he is gentle and lowly. If all we needed was some you know, minor upgrades here and there, a tweak and so forth, we could settle for a small Jesus, a diminished Jesus. But if we are seriously evil people, if it's that bad, I mean, we're all nice people, but our problem is we're nice, evil people. If that's us, then we need all that Jesus is. And he is up to the task of caring fully for people like us. Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch Christian, was famous for saying, over every square inch in the whole of our human existence, Christ calls out, Mine. 
He is enough for the totality of our need. He is enough for us at our worst. And as we open up to him, great things start to happen. This gentle and lowly heart gets through to our injured, evil heart. The, the real us as we actually are, and we do, our hearts crack open, we trust in him, and we will never discover that there is something else behind the gentle and lowly Jesus. We will never discover there's something else, something different behind that. Because he's saying, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. His deepest being. We'll only discover more and more of that. Here's why it matters that we dare to believe these verses in the Bible. Dare to believe it. In defiance of what we deserve, we dare to believe his words. Here's why it matters. He is calling us. Us. To display his glory, his beauty to our generation. He wants to make it easier for more people to believe in him as he actually is. He wants to make it, he wants us to make it easier for more people to see him as he is, believe him as he is, and join us in glorifying him as he really is. And he, he isn't putting that call upon us in our generation just to mock us and to make us feel embarrassed and even more like failures. He's putting that call upon us because he thinks this can work. He thinks he's enough to make this work. Where he puts the team on the field, the third string B team against the Super Bowl champions, he thinks we can score the win. Because he's an amazing coach. He's confident in his plan. He's not confident in what we bring to the table. He's confident in what he brings to the table. What he, we bring nothing but failure, embarrassment, and need. He brings all sufficient grace sincerely meant from the depths of his gentle and lowly heart. And that is the winning combination at the heart of the universe. We've parachuted into a universe where great things happen in, for, and through bad people because Jesus is involved, period. So that means that every single one of us, we can start right where we are, our imperfect selves, our damaged lives, our regrets, we can open up to him and say, okay, Lord, what's my next step? And he will help us because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not out to defeat us. He's out to bear us and carry us and help us. He isn't counting on our potential. 
He's assuming our exhaustion. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And he's inviting us into his heart where he makes the next move successful and even glorious. So we come to these epic words of Jesus and we realize there is nothing in him we need to fear or filter out or brace ourselves against. We will never delve into him only to find out some dark truth behind gentle and lowly, something else in his deeper interiority that is not gentle and lowly. This is who he is. This is who he cannot not be. And he wants us to know. And he's inviting us in. So let's think it through verse by verse. Okay, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We think, man, I need to get out of town. I need a change of surroundings. I need some new circumstances. Okay, maybe. Sometimes it does help to get out of town. We, we do benefit from the wise ordering of our lives and good stewardship. But even in the best of circumstances, Jesus still says to us, come to me. Our true place of rest and calm, less crazy, more calm, that place is very close, waiting for us in Jesus himself. And we will never find it anywhere else. Here's something surprising to me. I just discovered this recently. It's in our Lord's kind invitation when he says, come to me. There's a language, uh, a word in the language of the New Testament that means come, and it's just a common word like the English word come. But it's not the word our Lord uses here. The word he uses here in verse 28 isn't even a command. It isn't even a, a proper verb. It's an interjection. It's an exclamation. It's as if the Lord is saying, hey, over here, which is translated come. What's the point? Just this. Our Lord, in verse 28, is not asking us to change from being motionless to coming. He's asking us to change from going all over the place in all the wrong directions and exhausting ourselves for nothing and move toward Him. So we're already in motion. And like crazy busy, we're coming here, going there, always on the move, never resting, and we're exhausted, and we're disappointed, and we're fed up and trying to make the best of it. And to people like us, in a mess of a world like this, Jesus is saying, hey guys, over here. We might think, okay, sure, yes, 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 whatever, that's fine. But I accepted Christ years ago, that's settled. You know, I've made up my mind now, let's just 
Let's move on to other things. You know all those interesting things that Christians are talking about these days? Whatever they might be. No, let's not move on. Let's not be frantic. Let's be still and quiet and raise our eyes to him. He is there. He hasn't changed. He's not tired of us. His his invitation remains open. These are the words that still apply through the ages. He's not going away. Let's dare to believe it. Let's dare to believe it all over again and come to him and exhale and collapse in his arms and get some rest. Or we might think, yes, 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 that's fine, but you know, nothing is really substantively going to change until we sort out this political question and we address that church crisis and so on and so on. Then we can get around to a deeper, richer inner life. No, let's not put second things first and the first thing second. We flourish not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Jesus is inviting us to a deeper place with himself where life flows. Then we can face anything. Or we might think, yes, 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 that's fine. And I'll think about it. I'll get back to him later, you know, when I've got some breathing space. (laughs) where's that coming from that kind of thought we all understand what I mean right it's as if in our in our minds in our hearts there's like a boardroom with a great big table and coffee and bottles of water and these you know nice chairs and there's a committee sitting around that table and it's our different inner selves. Our divided self appearing in these different forms and these people sitting around the the boardroom table. So here's our family self. Here's our work self. Here's our church self, political self, and so forth. And these various selves sitting around the boardroom table, you know, they're arguing and they're debating and they're shouting and they're demanding and they're threatening and so forth. That's why we can't make up our minds and come to decisiveness. And it doesn't help to invite Jesus into that room and give him a seat at the table along with all those other voices. It is such a relief to fire the whole committee. Y'all have never done me any good at all. You're fired. You're done. You're out of here. Jesus comes in. He's the only one sitting at the table. We're finally listening. Then we can start making up our mind and get traction for a better future. Only Jesus, being Jesus, can give us rest and get us living again. What are we waiting for? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. He said it. He meant it. He's true to his word. He means it for us today. His words still resonate. His words are going to be here for our children. His words are going to be here for our children's children all the way to the second coming. But his words go deep for another reason. I love this part. Jesus gave these sacred, amazing words. He opened his heart. He put out the welcome mat into his deepest being for little people like us, unimpressive people like us, tired people like us, distracted people. We are the ones he's reaching out to. Look what he says in verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. (laughs) Okay, kids are adorable, but who would launch a whole new world by excluding all the top people who bring something to the table and gathering in the childlike who have nothing but need. Who would do that? Jesus. And God above, the Lord of heaven and earth, is all in with that plan. The all-holy, glorious God above got first dibs, and he chose us. He wasn't stuck with us, y'all. He chose us. He passed over the experts. He went with the beginners. So when our Lord invites all who labor and are heavy laden, he knew this was God's strategy from the beginning. This is not plan B on God's part. This is plan A. And we didn't talk him into it. So it's not something he might give up on. The strength of this arrangement is that this is the triune Godhead. He is being true to himself. Working this arrangement with us. He loves giving his best to anyone heartsick enough to move his way. And to us he says, I will give you rest. I will settle your frantic heart and I will pull you into my gracious heart. Then I will use you for my glory. The gospel spreads not through our big plans, but through our big needs redeemed by his surprising plan. And we ourselves are surprised to discover He really means this. And you know what else? He's great at it. Our Savior is world-class. He's a professional. Throughout the ages, the people most responsive to the gospel have not been the heavy hitters, but the heavy laden. The people who just can't go on as they are anymore. They're just done, fed up. I will, I refuse to go on living my life with defunct ideas that are not helping me. 
So where do I go now? Jesus. We're grateful for the word all. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is the most welcoming person in the universe. And he isn't picky. He isn't saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, as long as you look like the others who have already come. When he says all, he means all, as the history of Christianity has been proving for 2,000 years. And we, in whatever Christian group we find ourselves, we don't want to sort of insert and complicate this by adding in our own added filters, our own preferences, as if people have to come to Jesus if they look like us, or they, have, they can come to Jesus on our terms. He sets the terms. Only he has the right to. And the more we join him in welcoming all who labor and are heavy laden, the more our churches across this country feel like outposts of his kingdom in an angry world. This world does not need just more churches. This world need more, needs more churches where earthly barriers are leveled by Christ. So his open invitation creates not just a new community in this world, but a new kind of community where we qualify for admission by admitting we're unqualified. And he is enough to cover us all equally. So, if there's anybody else here this morning weary and sinful enough for Jesus, if there's anyone else here today grieved in conscience, wasn't that an amazing song we sang a few minutes ago for Psalm 130 by Martin Luther in the minor key? I, uh, Malachi, where are you? Malachi, I want that uh, music. Thank you. We've got to sing that at Emmanuel Church in Nashville. Did you write that? No. Wasn't that profound? I mean, it was old English, right? But we all knew what it meant. And we're all thinking, huh, you mean when I'm not a victorious Christian, it can still work? That's when Jesus is at his best. All who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus is saying that to every one of us here today. You know what he's saying to you today? Hey, friend, over here. What you want, what you're looking for, what your heart kind of aches for, right over here. Come on over. Here's another amazing thing about this invitation in verse 28. Back in the Old Testament, this was the kind of thing God himself used to say. For example, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. It was God who said, Exodus 33, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It was in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, this new sort of Eden recaptured a place of belonging and settling and breathing a sigh of relief. It was there that the people of God would live in great and good cities they didn't build and really comfy houses they didn't put up and vineyards they didn't plant 
They just walked into all this prepared for them, and God just gave it to them. They were to be living proof, those people that in a world of agitation, rest is real. And everybody else could look on and say, that's where I'm going. It was God who promised us our place of rest. Now in the New Testament, it's Jesus inviting us in, and he is the promised land, and the Holy Spirit is leading us there moment by moment, so now we know. Now we know. The triune God above is wholeheartedly, undividedly, with total sincerity, welcoming us in. The rest that this world cannot give, Jesus offers us with all the authority of God himself. We don't have to deserve it. Jesus gives it. He isn't open for business. The good works and merits that we want to provide to get his attention is like monopoly money in a real-world economy. And it doesn't matter if you just hand over more and more and more monopoly money. That's just not legal, valid currency in his economy. He gives all. And he gives and gives. So this is how, what is this, what could this look like in real life? I found this magnificent prayer from Thomas Akempis. Here's how he prayed. Grant me, O most loving Lord, to rest in you. By the way, what a fascinating prayer. Grant me, O most loving Lord, to rest in you. Here, Lord, would you do that favor for me? I, I'm, just, I'm not even good at resting in you. Grant me, O most loving Lord, to rest in you above all creative things, above health and beauty, above all glory and honor, above all power and dignity, above all knowledge and skill, above all fame and praise. All these things that I think if I would just have those things, then I would finally be okay. Above all gifts and favors that you can bestow and shower upon us, above all joy that the mind can conceive and know, above all angels and archangels and all the host of heaven, above all things both visible and invisible, above all that you are not, oh my God, give me rest in you. We can pray that way. Lord, please stop my crazy. Give me rest in you. Then we discover how rich we really are and how free we can be. And then we'll really do some good in this world. So in Jesus, we get past cost-benefit calculations. We discard, start discovering what it means to feel free and alive and human. So we come to verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this is what Spurgeon showed me that I passed along to Dane, Pastor. Um, Spurgeon pointed out to me, I'd never thought of this before. We know a lot about the teachings of Jesus. We know a lot about the miracles of Jesus. We know about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. 
the second coming of Jesus and so forth, but the one place in the New Testament where Jesus tells us about his heart, the one place where it's as if he opens up his chest and he says, let me tell you about my deepest interiority, my core being. This is who I am way down deep. At the deepest level, this is that passage. And what do we see? I am gentle and lowly in heart. Okay, what do those two words mean, gentle and lowly? Here's what the word gentle means. My New Testament lexicon tells me it means considerate, unassuming, meek. It's the opposite of being pushy and demanding. He's not like that. And then the, my classical Greek lexicon tells me this word means mild, tame, soft, like a caress. And the word lowly, here's what that word lowly means. My New Testament lexicon tells me it means of low position, undistinguished, subservient. And that word had a negative connotation among the Greek thinkers of ancient times. They felt that that word that Jesus front-loaded, they felt that that very word, that characteristic, that attribute, it, they thought it was servile, abject, low class. To be lowly was uncool then, and it's uncool now. I mean, who wants to be a doormat? Jesus, way down deep. He is the most gentle and lowly person in the universe. We did not invent humility and suggest it to God. Gentle and lowly is, we've parachuted into a universe where ultimate reality is gentle and lowly. What? This is a game changer. This is what we can and must understand as Christians in this momentous hour. Our part, first and foremost, is that we come to Jesus believing that his heart is gentle and lowly toward us, and we take his yoke upon us, and we learn from him and find rest for our souls that is not a hoop for us to jump through. It is an open door for us to stumble through. And this is not a concession on his part. You know, okay, I'm willing. Uh, I can see this is not going to work any other way. Then you people are asking so much of me. But okay, okay, okay. It's not like that. No, this is who he is. This is the holy of holies. And therefore, Jesus has not withdrawn this gracious invitation. He means this for us, like right now and moment by moment. So when we find our rest in him, something else happens. We move toward harmony with one another. The Bible says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war with you? 
I mean, I'm just riled up. I'm just, I'm tense. I'm, I'm troubled. I'm bothered. I'm kind of hacked off. I've got this low-grade fever of hacked offness. Like most of the time. And I don't think I'm the only one, right? So I'm this, I'm just walking nitroglycerin just waiting to be jostled to, to explode. But then I read Rome, uh, Romans 11, Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30, and something inside me calms down. And my wife's reality starts getting better, and my kids, and the neighbors, and so forth. Peace is not an elitist option for super spiritual Christians. Peace is freely given to all who hear the voice of Jesus saying, come on over here. It can be better. I was really struck by a paragraph I read. Um, I, I, I pray for revival constantly, as you do, I'm sure. And in a history of revivals, here's what I read. It is a solemn fact brought out in the history of more than one revival that when a whole neighborhood had been well watered with the showers of grace, no drop of blessing had fallen where a spirit of controversy and strife had obtained a footing. The Spirit of God hovered around but fled from the scene of discord as from a doomed region where his dove-like temper could find no resting place. No dwelling place can be more distasteful than a heart which delights itself with matters that provoke contention and strife. I just can't think of anything more urgently needed in our suffering nation today than Christians and churches where strife is unthinkable because everyone has come together and found rest in Jesus alone. That's a prophetic presence in a world like this. Finally, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's how this verse helps me, and it can help you too. We might think, well, you know, of course I want my life to count for Jesus. For crying out loud, I'm in church on Sunday morning. I want to be on his team. I want to be part of his movement in this generation. I want to compel the attention of our whole world. But uh, I can't be completely open. And, and the reason is obvious. Jesus loves me, but he will inevitably ask too much of me. I mean, even if I start strong, I won't be able to keep it up. And I'm so tired of failing. I'm so tired of falling short. So, what, okay, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll just settle for my own diminished Christianity, my own miniaturized Christianity with enough blessing to make my life better, but not so much blessing that things get out of control. And I hope he's okay with that because he's so nice. Now, if we ever have that thought, and we all do, let's admit it. 
we are then saying to Jesus, that thought is saying to Jesus, your yoke and burden are unendurable. You just don't get it. (laughs) So my answer to you, Jesus, is yes, but it's a guarded yes, which is really a no, because I'm going to decide how far this is going to go. I saw a guy walk into a Nashville (laughs) restaurant a while ago, and his T-shirt said, I will make you suffer. Do we ever see Jesus wearing that t-shirt? Is that the Jesus that's out there? Verse 30 is Jesus saying the opposite. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm designing this for you in such a way that this is, you walk with me and you will do this. And you will do this well. You will do this imperfectly in this life, and you will do it faithfully, fruitfully, and well. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And when you come to the end, you will not look back with regret, thinking, I am sorry I ever got involved with Jesus. You will look back with amazement and gratitude, thinking, signing on the dotted line with him, that was the smartest thing I ever did. Everything outside Christ, every time I went away from him, that broke my heart. When I just walked with him and stumbled along the way with him, he was so good to me. Whatever step he's calling you to take, that next step of following him, he will help you. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, sometimes scary but doable. There can be a more restful you that looks more like him and for me too. And, and, and that you is not far away. That new version of you. Because Jesus is not far away. He's not far away from you right now and he's still saying to you right now, hey, over here, come on over. Let's pray.